0: Good morning, how's everybody? Excellent. Hey, I just wanna tell you this morning, I know some of you came this morning with offensive clothes to church. Um, I want you to know this today. I've been thinking about it. We're gonna get through this. That's mainly what I wanted to tell you. At the end of this week, no matter what happens, I'm still gonna love you and you're still gonna love me and we're gonna be okay, okay? We're gonna get through the other side of it. And that's all I'm going to say about that. I hope you're having a good morning. This morning, I want to start with a, uh, a word from musical history. That's where we're going today, all right? 1961 is the year I want us to go back to. In the year 1961, a song was written, a song uh, that is among very few other songs in its uh, power and strength to simply convey a message of love, Okay. This song is what I would call iconic, okay? A song that uh, transcends generations, I hope. I hope generations now know it, because my generation sure did. And that song is the song Stand By Me by Benny King. Can I get an amen, right? Thank you. If you don't know this song, why are you living under a rock? And get out from under the rock, it's an amazing world. It's beautiful music to listen to out there. This is Benny King. Uh, the guy who put this song into the world is one of the authors of this particular song. And we're gonna get into some of the uh, the background of the song today, because I think it's significant. But you guys you guys know this song musically. It starts with that bass line, that dum, 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 right? that snap sound, by the way, I was noticing this week. I went back and watched some some videos of it. You guys remember in like music class in elementary school when the teacher pulls out that tub that has all the random, like, tidbits in it and like just throws it in the middle of you and she's like make sounds with that right that little sound is one of those tidbits right it's like this weird thing you scrape and now you're only gonna hear it all week I've just been like "Doom, it's this thing and you're like what in the world right that would not have happened in 2023 nobody puts a into a song anymore that's not a thing but anyway I'm off topic back on topic yeah that's right you guys know how the song, when the night has come and the land is dark, right? And the moon is the only light, you can sing with me. No, I won't be afraid, no, I, I won't be afraid. Why? Just as long as you stand, stand by me. Right. Some of you are like, yes, Lord, right? It's so good, right? It's such a good song, such a great and well-written, simple song. But here's something that I love about it. This is the kind of stuff in music that like really geeks me out. In the second verse of that song, it says this, this second verse says, if the sky that we look upon should tumble and fall, or mountains should crumble into the sea, I won't cry, I won't cry, no, I I, I, I won't shed a tear, just as long as you stand by me. Look at this, I'm gonna read y'all something. So good, Psalm 46. God's our refuge and strength, a helper who's always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in its turmoil. Oh, Benny King knew Jesus, y'all. He did. In fact, people came to him and asked him, where'd this song come from? Okay, like, it's an amazing song. Where, where's, what's the origin of this thing? Here's what's cool, back in 1959, two years before Stand By Me came on the scene, before it was written, there was another great soul singer, some people call him like the the father of soul music, Sam Cooke. Those who know Sam Cooke know Sam Cooke, right? Big time, I mean, smooth operator, look at the guy. My gosh, get out of here, I only wish, okay? (laughs) Sam Cooke at that time was a part of a gospel group called the Soul Stirrers. okay, what a great name, right? And they wrote a song, and that song's title was Stand By Me, Father. Okay, listen to these lyrics from the song. Oh, Father, you've been my friend. Now that I'm in trouble, stand by me to the end. Oh, Father, I want you to stand by, stand by. Well, all of my money and my friends are gone. God, I'm in a mean world, and I'm so alone. Oh, Lord, I need you, Jesus stand by. When they asked Benny King, where'd this song come from? Guess where it came from? Sam Cook. Came from this gospel song. It's a reminder to us that a lot of soul music has roots in gospel music. Like they're tied at the hip. You can you can't really get them apart. And I bring this up today, right? This song that so beautifully written in 1959 that gave birth to one of the great love songs that's ever been written in our time, right? Some of the greatest love songs out there to remind you that though, yes, Benny King's version is about loving a woman, or in this case, a woman loving a man in this kind of way that's not just romantic love, it's not just flirtatious or that sort of eros sexual love. This is the kind of love that all of our hearts long for at the deepest level, somebody who will stand by us through thick and thin even when life gets really hard, right, it's that kind of song, but here's the better part, Ultimately, this song isn't just about a woman who does that. On a bigger level, it's about a God who comes and stands by us when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death or through our most difficult moment, God's standing right there beside us, and that's where we're going today, okay? So here's why we're talking about it today. Last week when I preached, there was a passage in Acts chapter 22 that just leapt out at me but I couldn't figure out what to do with it. I'll tell you what it is. Acts chapter 22, verse 12 and 13 says, someone named Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, who had a good reputation with all the Jews living there, came and stood by me and said, brother Saul, regain your sight. In that very hour, I looked and saw him. So God's voice gave Ananias the clarity and conviction and courage. We talked about this last week. To stand by Paul, even though it was excruciatingly different, he was, or difficult, he was totally afraid of Paul and what might come of it, but he stood by him anyway, right? And even though we didn't pause and focus on those words last week, they spoke to me, and then our passage for this week came along, and I want to read it to you. So if you guys have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 23. You're going to see very, very quickly what I'm getting at here. We're continuing the series in Acts. You guys know that. If you don't, we're in a series called Acts. We're gonna keep going. Here we go. So the backstory in this is that Paul is in a really difficult moment. He's gone to Jerusalem. He's facing intense persecution or at least unbelievable pushback on what he's trying to bring to the church in Jerusalem or to the people, the Jews who live in Jerusalem, right? He's already got into kind of a fight here, not this fight, but... Pretty dang close, they really don't want him to be there. And we pick up in verse 30 of chapter 22, it says, the next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, this is the commander who kind of saved him um, from the hand of the Jews, right? He released him and instructed the chief priest and the Sanhedrin to convene. He brought Paul down and placed him before them, right? So this commander, is trying to make sense of why the Jews are so angry. Like, what is y'all's problem? Sends him back to the Sanhedrin to convene, to try to wrap his mind around it, all right? That's where we pick up, verse one. Paul looked, (laughs) this is crazy. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, brothers, I've lived my life before God in all good conscience to this day. The high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said, God's gonna strike you you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law, are you ordering me to be struck? Oof, verse four, those standing nearby said this, do you dare revile God's high priest? Paul realizes he made a mistake. I did not know, brothers, though he was the, or that he was the high priest, replied Paul. For it is written, you must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul realized that one of them for part of them were Sadducees and the other part were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I'm being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead and this causes a problem, right? When he said this, it's almost like a like squirrel, kind of one of those moments because it causes them to just break out into a fight among themselves because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees absolutely do. It says, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees, uh, they say there is no resurrection and neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. Verse nine, the shouting grew loud and some of the scribes of the Pharisees party got up and argued vehemently We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, take him away from them and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome, You guys see it? The first thing I wanna point out this morning is that proximity matters, particularly when it comes to God. His presence with us is a big deal. But it's not just God, it's all of us. Proximity matters, even beyond those who love us, proximity matters. But I wanna point out one thing before we get too far into that idea. Proximity matters, but Close proximity doesn't always equal love. You hear me? Proximity matters, presence matters, but close proximity, close presence doesn't always equal love. You look at our passage, the high priest Ananias ordered that those who were standing by him to strike him on the mouth. That was their response. So here's the deal, proximity, right? Presence actually grants access at the end of the day which is why who stands by you matters greatly. It's really important. So proximity could mean a hug. It could also mean, in this case, a hit. And can I just say, sadly, many who are in this room, right, can vouch for this sad reality. That's why some of you keep everyone at an arm's distance. Uh, there have been more philosophers and poets talk about this than you could probably go through in a day, right, or maybe a week. That love brings vulnerability, and with vulnerability comes the opportunity for love to be reciprocated or for love to be denied, right? As we get close to people, we become vulnerable. And proximity, though it can be the greatest blessing of our lives as human beings, can also be the greatest curse, right? This is why it matters who we're close with. It matters who stands by us, right? Proximity isn't enough. It's important to us today, particularly for our relationship with God, right? For God to stand by me means more, okay? It's an important reality. The Greek word there, uh, the word uh, means to stand by, to be present, to place over, to place upon. And what does that mean? Okay, number one, and this is a good thing, it means you're not alone. You're never alone, okay? Proximity, but hear me on this. It also means you never fight alone. It means that you have an ally, not just someone who's passively close to you, but someone who's working for you and with you as you go about your day. This is important stuff. Okay. Now, here's the thing I recognize this morning. My sermon today is uh, cognitively or intellectually very simple. But the concepts that are on this page, the concepts that are in this passage that we're covering today, though they might be intellectually simple, when they work their way into the human heart are profound in the way they work themselves out in our lives. If we believe that God is with us, but just passively sort of chilling, hanging out, not doing much, it makes a difference in how we live our lives. But if we believe in a God who is not just with us, Right, He doesn't just stand next to us, but in standing next to us, it's like a friend, an ally, someone who's coming alongside us, for us and with us to accomplish that which is on his heart for our lives. That's a whole different story, isn't it? And the more our hearts believe that, the more it changes who we are and how we operate day in and day out, not just personally, the way we treat other people. And all along the way, right, we have to make sure that as we believe, that God is with us, that it's not, just, um, it's not just a presence, right, we also get his power in the process because he's for us. Uh, one passage I wanted to point out, and I'll tell you, like I don't know if any pastor would connect these passages, but like I just, I grew up and I love this particular passage and I think it illustrates what we're getting at and, and I wanted to give it to you because I realized that whenever you have words that mean multiple things, it can be hard to wrap your mind around like, What's that pastor actually trying to say, okay? So let me give you a story to try to explain it, okay? In the book of First Samuel in chapter 14, you can go back and read this later. The king at the time is a guy named Saul. Saul is trying, but he's not very good, okay? He doesn't have a big heart for God. At this point, he's hiding under a pomegranate tree. You're like, that's not really true. He's taking a nap under a pomegranate tree, pondering and trying to figure out as the king how they're gonna deal with this army that has approached him, okay? Big, scary army. They don't have enough people. A lot of their people have run into the desert and hidden caves or gone and decided to fight for the other side. I mean, it's a big, big, hot mess. So not to be too judgy on Saul, he's facing a pretty big dilemma, Saul has a son in this story, and his name is Jonathan. And Jonathan, like any young person, has all these amazing ideals and believes deeply God can handle this. My dad might be freaked out, but at the end of the day, God's got this under control. So Jonathan makes a deal with God. Look, if you show me this particular sign, then I'll know that you're gonna hand that army over to me, and we're gonna win the victory. And he shows him the sign. God shows him, I'm with you. And then, boom, he takes off. And then you have this moment. This is the moment I wanted us to get to. Jonathan has a buddy there, his armor bearer, okay? And here are his words that he says to Jonathan. Jonathan is about to take off into battle in a battle that looks unwinnable from the outside unless you believe that God's gonna win it for you. And he looks at him and he says this. This is what the armor bearer says to Jonathan. Do what's in your heart. Go ahead. I am completely with you. I am completely with you. Another translation says, I am with you, heart and soul. If we're talking about what it looks like for God to come stand by us, or in this particular passage, for God to come stand by Paul, this is what I think it looks like. Paul, I'm with you, heart and soul, completely. I'm not just a passive presence. I'm here, I'm ready to act on your behalf. In fact, I'm just gonna let you hang out here for a second and take a deep breath. I know today has been the hardest day. So I'm gonna give you the gift of something that you need in your life, and that's the certainty that there'll be a tomorrow. I, deal, I know you're struggling, so I'll just let you know, these Jews aren't gonna kill you. I already see the future, it's all good. You're gonna go to Rome and share my message, right? That's a good God that reaches into a moment, he knows what Paul needs, he comes and stands by him and gives him exactly what he needs in that moment. I think that's what it means to stand by, right? For God to stand by us. It makes a difference in our lives when we know someone's with us and for us, doesn't it? It does. Here's the other side though. I know from my own experience that these words are difficult to hear for some people. People who've lost family members, people who've, watch family members walk through horrible diseases, people who have experienced tragedy in their life. And I just want you to know today, I don't wanna minimize your pain, I wanna go right at it in in some ways. I don't wanna avoid it. I'll tell you, I do get it to some degree. I don't get it all the way, I'm not living your life, but here's the thing, most of you know this, I lost my dad from like the worst of diseases, ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a few years ago. And here's what I know, I'm just gonna read it to you, it's better, I'll be more precise. My dad was able to walk through ALS with courage because he knew he was never alone. That God was always with him, but not just in proximity. He knew that Jesus was with him, heart and soul. So even though he didn't always understand, he didn't get it. My dad lived with the certainty that even if God doesn't heal me on this side of heaven, he will, he's got plans to do that and he trusted him through that fight. That's how he navigated those horrific years. That's how we navigated watching him uh, those horrific years and I think in in many ways this is how Paul is navigating these hard moments in his life. I I want you to hear from him. Um, before we read this passage, I'll just tell you one of the crucial beliefs of the Christian life, one that sometimes we have to fight tooth and nail for is that God is standing with us through whatever we face. And sometimes it doesn't make sense and we're tempted to believe it's not true. Believe me when I tell you I have been there my gosh, the experiences of life will make you go there, won't they? Life is hard, y'all. But we have to hold on and believe as Paul did. Listen to these words from Romans eight. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave up him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God, and he is actually interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Let me read it again. So we're talking about a God who comes along and stands with us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long and we're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded, listen today, if you need this, let it speak to your heart. I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor debt, nor anything created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Father, today we believe in your goodness. And God, some of us, like if we could just be honest, we're praying that prayer, that familiar prayer in the New Testament that just says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, I pray for my friends who are here today, for this church, for those online, that you would help them to believe that nothing can separate us from your love. God, it's not a passive kind of love. Lord, you're working. We believe it. Amen. All right, we're not done. Still got a little time. I want you guys to go back to the passage. I want us to keep going. There's one more thing I want for us today. We're gonna read the rest of the passage, it's kinda long, just hang with me. It's kinda like the the Paul Harvey rest of the story, half the room doesn't know what that is, it's cool, I'm just gonna (laughs) keep rolling. On the FM radio. (laughs) Verse 12 says, when it was morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they'd killed Paul. there, uh, There were more than 40 who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, we've bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we've killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he's to bring him down to you as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly. But before he gets near, we're gonna kill him. But the son of Paul's sister, it's awesome, His nephew, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, "Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him." So he took him, brought him to the commander, and said, "The prisoner called Paul. A uh, uh, prisoner, Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you." The commander took him by the hand, led him aside, and inquired privately, "What's it? What is it that you have to report to me?" The Jews, he said have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow as though they're going to hold a somewhat more careful inquiry about him don't let them persuade you because there are more than 40 of them lying in ambush men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they've killed him now they are ready waiting for your consent so the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this verse 23 He summoned two of the centurions and said, get 200 soldiers ready. This is awesome. With 70 cavalry and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. That is fantastic. Also provide mounts to ride so that Paul may be brought safely to Felix the governor. He wrote the following letter. Claudius Lysias to the most excellent Governor Felix, greetings. When this man had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he's a Roman citizen. Wanting to know the charge they were accusing him of, I brought him down before the Sanhedrin. I found out that uh, what they accused him of, I brought him down, oh, I'm sorry, I found out that the accusations, excuse me, were concerning questions of their law and that there was no charge that merited death or imprisonment. When I was informed that there was a plot against this man, I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. We're almost in the homestretch, y'all, hang in. Verse 31, so the soldiers took Paul during the night and brought him to Antipatris as they were ordered. The next day they returned to the barracks, uh, allowing the cavalry to go on with them. And when the men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him like, ta-da. After he read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers also get here. He ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Such intrigue, right? It's like a born novel or something, so good. Interesting stuff. Here's where I wanna finish up today. You know the word we talked about earlier, that word that uh, basically means to stand by someone, stand with someone? You see that word again here, except in the translation, it doesn't translate it the same way, like in my English translation, but it's there. Look at verse 27 in your Bible. Okay, so this is the commander of the Roman armies. He's trying to protect Paul. It says, when this man had seized or had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I arrived. I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he's a Roman citizen. That term there, that, those two words, I arrived, are the same word. So basically, if we read it again, it could be translated, when this man had been seized by the Jews and with, they were about to kill them and was about to be killed by them, I stood by him with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he's a Roman citizen. Y'all, in verse 27, we see this, this word, and it's important, and this is why I think it's important. I don't want to pretend that this Roman general was a godly man, I don't know. I don't know if he eventually put his faith in Jesus or if he already, I don't know, I don't know any of that. But I will tell you this, what that particular portion of the passage tells me is that as image bearers of God, In the same way that God is capable of coming alongside us and standing with us as an ally, we as human beings have been given the gift of each other that in moments that are difficult, in the moments that are the very uh, hardest moments we face in life, that we've been given one another to come stand by us, right? To come stand by, and the way it's really, truthfully, in the way that it's described in the, the original song and stand by me, right? To have an ally in our life who comes heart and soul and says, I am with you through this to the other side. You and me, we're gonna do this. And I'll tell you, I'm looking around this room, I'm a pastor here at this church, so I know a lot of people. This has happened over and over and over again. I've watched it in the lives of people that I can see in this room. I'm going through something difficult and the other person gives them the gift of coming alongside them, standing by them and helping them get through to the other side. We as humans have the capacity to take one of these attributes of God and to apply it to our own lives. And I'll tell you, we learn it from Jesus. He did it for us. Uh, In pastoral circles or theological circles, you would call this an incarnational people, okay? That is, incarnation is when Jesus uh, comes and puts on skin and lives among us, and that is that we have the capacity, when people are walking through things, to come and get down in the middle of what they're dealing with and walk beside them. That makes us an incarnational people. So we are following Jesus and acting like him and doing what he did, right? And I don't know if he knew that's what he was doing here, but I'll tell you, he was. Coming alongside Paul, right, protecting him, rescuing him, and getting him where he needed to go. Jesus teaches us this in Matthew 25 when he describes our relationship with the least of these. right? How we're to love them, he showed us this on the cross, standing in our place, that we might have life. Friends, God serves us this way and he's called us to do the same. And I think one of the things I want you to take with you today, if I could just give you a few words to remember, is this, in this like fast, furious, frantic, um, angry world, your loving presence matters. You hear me? Not the person next to you. Their loving presence matters too. Your loving presence matters. Right? Showing up for people matters. Some of you have gotten through some of the most difficult moments in your life because someone showed up and somebody in your life needs you to do that right now. Showing up matters. Your loving presence matters. Okay, so one mark of our faith is the courage to stand near, to stand with, to stand up for the tired and the weary, the stressed and the oppressed, the hurting, Sick, the unloved, the unlovable, the underappreciated, the beaten down, the overlooked, the elderly, the orphaned, the kids of the parents who don't have time, the parents who don't have time, the faithless, the wounded, the lonely, this is what the church is called to do. My fear is that the speed of life and the shallow outrage that we choose as a culture Sometimes presents or prevents the genuine care that God desires of us towards our world. It's like we care so much about everything far away, but up close, it's like we've used up all of our care so that when something close to us comes around, we don't have anything left to give the people who actually need our care up. Close and personal. <clears throat> we all saw the horrific acts of Hamas in the last couple of weeks. Right, if you're, if, if you're like taking a break from the news, uh, you should go read this story, it's important. and It's not happy, but it's like, this is a geopolitical situation that is massive for our world. You need to know. We saw the atrocities that took place when Hamas came into Israel. And I think, I'll tell you, can I just tell you all this? It's really hard to talk about this stuff from a stage. You ever just wanna make sure you're aware of that. Because there's so many intricacies to this. And people always take everything you say wrong because they're people, right? I want you to know that. So Steve's gonna stand up here at some point and talk about something. You're be like, I don't like that. And it's like, well, okay. I don't like half the stuff you say either. Anyway, I'm sorry, I'll just... Get off, get off. I'm just, I want you to hear this. I think all of us are struggling with the tension of this moment. We're struggling with the fact that this ally of our country is in a really hard spot and we wanna support an ally, right? We get that, I understand that piece. We also don't want to see a bunch of innocent children killed in Palestinian villages as a rebuttal to what happened to these innocent children in these uh, Israeli cities. And I mean, it's just, it's hard. Like, and if anything, could we just be brave enough to pray for the leaders over there and ask God to give them wisdom? Because it's not as simple as as we make it over here with our Twitter posts, okay? It's been on my mind all week, my heart. I mean, I know everybody in this room probably, your heart is just wretched over this thing. It is hard. The next few months, few years are gonna be really hard trying to untangle this mess. I mean, that they've been trying to untangle for a long, long time, right? This isn't new, right? But I will tell you this. This is something that I'm learning in my life and something I wanna give to you today. Support the policies that God impresses on your heart to support, right? If you wanna make a Twitter post, great, I don't care. If you like Twitter, that's that's neat. I learn a lot of things that I don't know on Twitter, but Sometimes, I'll tell you, sometimes we as followers of Christ, I just mentioned this a while ago, spend so much time focused on global matters that we can't do anything about, that we forget to do anything about the stuff that's happening right under our nose. I'm not saying don't care about it. I'm just saying, if you in your life, and I'm not saying everybody in the room should, or they do, but if you in your life have friends who are Jewish or Muslim, this would be a good moment to come stand by them, literally, with your body, stand by them, sit by them, and say, hey, I know that this is a hard moment for you. Talk to me, what can I do for you? How can I encourage you? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Could we go have some dinner together? I just wanna express love towards you because I know that this moment is excruciatingly difficult. We live in one of the most diverse cities in the world, particularly in our country. Believe me when I tell you that people from all of these represented bodies are present here. They live here in our city. And what they need is an incarnational movement of the church to say, I love you in this moment you're in. I may not even agree with you all the way on particulars, but it doesn't matter, I love you. God loves you, he has a plan for your life. Don't be afraid, I'm here with you. Sometimes we forget to make things local when we're so focused on what's global. I'm not just talking about Israel and Palestine, I'm talking about all sorts of things that we get wrapped around the axle and we forget to just love the people in our own domains. Do the work that God's called us to today with the people that he loves around us. So may we be a people who are committed to the incarnation, to being with people and for people, their allies. If you find yourself here today and you need to hear it, I just want you to hear these words. Friend, God is here, God is with you and God is for you. He hasn't abandoned you and you can take that to the bank. So I need you to hear today, especially for people who are here just struggling through like. But what about this? It's really hard. I want you to hear this, please. God is more tenacious than we are. He hangs in there with us even when we're struggling too. Even when we're difficult or our life is difficult or believing in him is difficult. Believe me, he's tenacious enough to hang in there with you even then. God's more gracious than we are. He seeks us out. He welcomes us home even when we've blown it. He desires that not one of us would ever feel that we're alone to struggle through this life. And listen, he promised that we would struggle. He did, but he wants you to know that he's with you, he's for you, cares about you, about the outcome of your life. I just wanna encourage you this week, if you're having a hard time with that, wrestle with this reality, because the truest thing about God that any of us could believe is that he's love that he loves you and that he loves me, right? He's built of it, that's who he is, it's his character. And he doesn't just love us from afar, right? The Bible tells us the fullest description of God that we have is Jesus, and there's nothing about Jesus that says I love you from afar. He loves us right here. So it's this morning, I just pray that God would impress that on your heart, regardless of where you are. Let's pray. This morning I want to do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. If I could just head down and eyes closed. Um, I felt like God gave me this song this week. Never done this before. Um, I just want to sing this over you as, a, as, a, as a, maybe a word from the Lord to you today for you to receive. It's an old song. a call Thank you. That there's never a moment in our life before we knew you and after that you weren't after our hearts, Lord. You love us with an everlasting love, and Lord. For anyone who is here today that's just asking, "Does God love, really love me?" I pray that you would stand by them right now and show them, "I'm with you and I'm for you, friend." Lord, if there are folks here who's just like, I've been running from God. I pray that the goodness of knowing that you laid your life down for our sin, and you were resurrected, you gave us life for free out of your grace and love. You came and you stood by us, even when we were dead in sin. Lord, thank you for that. I pray you'd give those people in the room who maybe don't know you the courage to say, God, I don't wanna walk alone in this life. I wanna walk right with you. I wanna follow you. I wanna put my faith in you. Lord, I pray you'd help them to know that you've promised to give them the Holy Spirit, promised to save them. Lord, you've given them everything giving them your presence every day and every moment, not just passively, but at work in their life. Lord, help those people to step over the line today, put their faith in you. Lord, for the rest of us today, maybe put our faith in you long ago, God just gives the courage in our lives to believe that you're involved and that you love us. We pray these things in your name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us, and if you have any questions about what you just heard, we'd love to talk with you. You can get connected at hnw.org about what we believe or how to join a small group, or follow us on social media as well. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'd love to see you soon.